you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Welcome to this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. You know, this is one of the highlights of my week each week to scan through the questions that come in from you, our listeners, and then to identify a few that we can handle here, hopefully to give a feedback and wisdom, not only for the person who wrote the question, but for the rest of us as well. You know, success principles are like that. They're very transferable. Sometimes people ask me, you know, why I go to real estate conferences and things like that that don't relate directly to what I do, but the principles for success in one industry or profession are very transferable. So you can learn from a lot of different areas, and I certainly hope to do that. You know, this week I had one of my blogs, and actually an article in the newsletter, uh, talked about killing the golden goose. I've gotten a lot of feedback on that. I want to just kind of recap some of the things that we've gotten there. It was in response to a listener question who said, Dan, with the poverty of the USA, my spirit doesn't feel right charging the poor that need help for coaching them in the right direction. Out of the love in my heart for others and their burdens, I cannot see putting a boundary up money for what I know that can help them. Well, and I responded to that because that's a really common concern. I mean, a lot of people have a heart for ministry, a heart for service. They want to help others, and they want to do that in a way that doesn't make it harder for the other person. Well, is providing that free the best way to do it? And I responded to that, you know, saying that uh, coaching is a helping service, And I hope whatever you do, whatever your work you're doing is a helping service. Coaching isn't unique in being the only way to help others. So we could substitute anything we want to in that sentence. With the poverty of the USA, my spirit doesn't feel right charging the poor that need help making their house payment, getting groceries, having dental work, fixing a plumbing problem, repairing their car. And you can go on and on and on. Now, if we just simply help those people, what happens is... In my case, and this is how I responded to that, I too have a heart for the downtrodden. I allow 10% of my time for humanitarian and ministry needs. That allows me to address those needs and still provide for my family. But I could not spend 90% of my time helping the poor. I'd simply become one of them and deplete my ability to help. It's impossible to give when your own cup is empty. A sincere desire to help and serve can kill the golden goose just as much as raw greed. I've gotten a lot of feedback on that. And and frankly, I was surprised at the overwhelming support for the way I responded to that. People had their own stories about how they tried to give and give and give and giving in, whether it's in coaching or counseling, whatever it is, and then people don't show up because there's no investment. There's really no commitment. So we know there's a real process that goes on when you uh, charge for something, if it's a fair product or service, then everybody ought to win. It's not a process where one person wins and one person loses. I mean, none of us want to do business like that. But if you have something where you hold your head high in providing it, then you can also hold your head high in having fees connected with that. Now, if you want more, there were a lot of great comments. And you can go to my blog, 48 Days Blog, and see all the the great comments that people have left there about their own experiences on that particular issue. But that's a common kind of thing. Is it right to make money? when we're living out God's calling in our life? Or are those times where we always do it for free? Well, 
Um, our good friend Rabbi Daniel Lapin, in his book, Thou Shall Prosper, addresses it in ways far better than I possibly could. But he talks about there's actually part of the ceremony for Saturday night, the Sabbath, that the Jewish families do where they have a cup, a wine glass on a saucer, and they pour wine into the cup until it's full and running over. That's a metaphor, a symbol for how they view this, where you give out of the overflow. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just greedy and take everything for yourself. You ought to have a reasonably sized cup so that it does fill up. But as it fills up, then you have the excess that you can freely give to others. And you have more power to give when you do have a full cup. Well, let's go to some of the questions that we've got coming in. Timothy says, Dan, I've been the office manager for my physician's sister for 14 years. She has now accepted a position as state medical director for Iowa Hospice. I'm happy and excited for her, but this leaves me unexpectedly unemployed, but excited about what God has for this late chapter in my life. I'm almost 50, but still act like a kid. I've been involved in children's ministry for over 22 years. Don't want to go back to the grind. I do chapel services for a Christian school, volunteer as a track chaplain at NHRA events through Racers for Christ. I'm also involved as a member of our town's Main Street Board of Directors. I love these volunteer activities and would be left feeling lost without them. I'm contemplating finishing my master's education in counseling. My first question, is the National Christian Counseling Association credible? They would be my licensing group. Okay, let me just just stop right there. There's more questions. Let me just stop right there. The National Christian Counseling Association is fine, but recognize these accrediting associations for what they are. That doesn't translate very directly to your success or competence. It simply means that you're under their umbrella and they've given you an accreditation or licensure. There are over 300 organizations around the country or around the world that we've identified that offer certification for coaching. So we know the standards aren't very standardized. Now, there are organizations like ICF, International Coach Federation, that has pretty recognized standards, but even there, If you pay them enough money and spend enough time, you're going to get licensed. You're going to get accredited, certified, any of those terms you want. Yeah, you can get those. Does that translate into now you hang out a shingle and then you're successful and make $100,000 in coaching? Not at all. The average coach makes less than $10,000. So just being licensed or certified by an organization isn't the real key to whether or not you're going to be successful. That being said, if you want to be licensed under this particular organization, fine. If you want to choose one of 30 others, that's okay as well. The person on the street doesn't respond to that. They don't understand those acronyms behind your name. Now, I work with a lot of coaches, and a lot of coaches have a lot of those where they are ICF certified, and they have a a master's coach designation and all those acronyms. Those don't mean anything to anybody except another coach. It's kind of like realtors. They're infamous for having that long list of acronyms behind their name, and nobody would understand what those mean except another realtor. So don't think that that is the magic pill toward having you be seen as credible and a great reputation, and people are going to stand at your door. No. Success breeds success. If you are, in fact, coaching people, get testimonials from a few people have those on your website or an audio format that you can share with others. You know, speak freely. I mean, offer to be a speaker at noon luncheons, the Rotary Club and Kiwanis and others. I mean, volunteer if your message fits 
for what would be appropriate in a church, volunteer to be a speaker there, get those kind of opportunities, write articles, start a blog. Those are the things that build your reputation and credibility. You'll notice in anything on our website or in anything that you see about me, it always says Dan Miller. That's it. It doesn't say anything. And that is something that I never have people ask me about. My credentials, where I went to school, what degrees I have, where I was certified. It just never comes up. What they do comment on is, ooh, I read your blog the other day, or I saw you on TV, or read one of your books, or you worked with my neighbor three years ago, changed his life. Those are the kind of things that you want to get behind you so you really do have the credibility to build a coaching or counseling business. And yeah, it sounds like you're in a great place to go ahead and start that. Amanda from Georgia says, Dan, you and your friend Dave have been great additions to my life. By listening and working Dave Ramsey's plan, I was introduced to you. I currently work for the federal government in a support capacity. I was initially introduced to the agency directly out of college, took the position thinking that I would be promoted. Once I learned what the job entailed, I was no longer interested or fulfilled, but could not pass up the stable pay and benefits. Now, mind you, I appreciate the job and all it affords me, but I want to work where my gifts will be best used. Not to mention the agency is downsizing the work that is required for my position, and I don't know how much longer I'll be able to be employed doing less and less work. I currently make a little more than $50,000. Now, she talks about, you know, she's 30 years old, has a bachelor's degree in sociology, anthropology, but no other experience. She thought about being a social studies teacher, a social worker, but the pay is a little more than half of what I make now. Also, I love design and decorating, but what could I do with that? I'd hate to lose the almost eight years that I have put towards a federal retirement, but something has got to give. Now, let's break this down a little bit. 30 years old, and she's concerned about retirement, feeling trapped in what she's currently doing. So she has to continue doing that because she spent eight years doing that. Golly, that's horrendous. What a horrible way to look at what your options are to feel trapped at 30 years old. I tell people a lot of times, hey, do whatever you want to do until you're 50. If when you're 50, we can sit down, take a fresh look at how you're wired, how you're gifted, what your talents are, what your passions are, we can then create a plan to go into the most productive 20 years of your life. But you don't even have enough life experience to make those decisions at 30. Now, the other part of this is, why would you assume that making a change is going to reward you less? You talk about the work is not that rewarding. You're making about $50,000. And the clear assumption is that if you went into social work or design and decorating, that then you would be making less. Don't assume that. Look for and solutions, not either or. That's an old Stephen Covey principle. Don't assume that you're choosing between maintaining your income or doing what you love and dropping to half that income. No. If you want to double your income, assume that there are many ways to do that where you embrace what you're most passionate about. So don't look for those either or. If I do this, I lose this. No. Assume if you make a change now, you can look at five different options where either or any of those are going to give you more fulfillment and more money as well. Just make a list of those exact things. If you want to be a social worker, now just, I mentioned a minute ago that the average coach makes less than $10,000. Well, that would be pretty discouraging if you just look at the national trends. I'm a coach. That would be pretty discouraging if I thought that my coaching was only going to bring in $10,000 a year. I hope you realize that's not the case with me. I just position myself differently. People respond to that, and you can be in the top 
3% of a given profession just by doing some things right. Identify what makes you remarkable and act on that. Ronnie says, Dan, I'm a deputy manager, branch manager of 200-plus wage craftsmen. I work for the prime contractor at an Air Force base. We strongly emphasize safety on the job and at home. We operate test facilities and perform heavy maintenance on the test facilities and infrastructure so our employees are exposed to potential hazards each day while performing the job. Our motto is to go home better than when you arrived at work. Cool. The thought behind that is our employees will go home physically in as good a shape as they came in and also feel mentally good about the accomplishment of completing a day's work. We have had some injuries during the past six months and have related those back to a lack of focus while performing the job task. We all know that people come to work every day with life situations on their minds. Could be a difficult marriage situation, a child needing drug rehab, parent dying, or other life events. Do you have any helpful advice on how the mental aspect of a person relates to their ability to focus on a task in respect to industrial safety and what can be done to enable a person to mentally work through those difficult situations while at work? Yes, I do, but I'll tell you what, to get the most up-to-date things, thank goodness for Google, I would simply put in, as I did, put in stress work injuries. You're going to get a big volume of helpful information that addresses exactly what you're asking. Yes, we do know there are more heart attacks on Monday morning than any other time of the week, any other day of the week. We do know there are more work-related injuries on Monday. Now, it's easy to connect the dots there. It's people coming to work that they don't like. They resent being there. They are overwhelmed by real-life situations and bring those in with them. So you're on the right track here. And, yeah, you can easily develop some programs to address those particular things. Work for most people is stressful. Primarily, that's because there are mismatches in the work that they do. If people are properly aligned, they ought to come in where their energy does increase while they're doing work they love. Now, you see this played out a lot. I mean, somebody works 40 hours a week and they're absolutely exhausted. Then they go out into the garage on Thursday night after being exhausted and start tinkering around with, you know, tuning up the lawnmower. And all of a sudden, you know, four hours have passed. They're energized. They're full of life. Well, they connected with something they really enjoyed. What a novel thought. If people are connected with work that they enjoy, that they consider meaningful and purposeful, yes, you can expect their work-related injuries to be significantly lower than the general population and also for their energy to remain high all day long while they're working. Good track you're on. Eric says, Dan, my passion is farming and I've been developing ideas about how to find work I love associated with that passion. Along the way, I've started blogging about the lessons I've been learning at 48days.net and think there may be some opportunity to develop those blogs into an income opportunity. What indicators should I be looking for as I attempt to discern whether to stay on target or shift my focus? For context, my blog does not deal with farming. It deals with life lessons, finding focus, pessimism, planning, and so on. The focus of the blog may shift as I get underway with the farming operations. Well, I I would, you know, doing a blog will tell you real quickly if it strikes a nerve with people or not. You're going to start getting an audience or not as people are attracted to the content that you have. When you talk about you you have a passion for farming, but you're going to do a blog that deals with life lessons, finding focus, pessimism, planning, and so on, to me it sounds like you went from something very specific to a really big generalized area. There's a whole lot of information on finding focus, pessimism, planning, and so on, 
whereas there's not much that deals directly with farming. I mean, as people are more interested in doing things that are green and reconnecting with the earth on having organically grown vegetables, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons to give people great information on farming. You'll find people that are even urban farmers that may live on the top of an apartment complex but have a little plot on top of the building that they can use to grow their own vegetables. I would focus on that. Rather than generalizing, go with your passion, focus on that. A blog or a podcast is very easy to track response, and it happens very quickly. Whereas you have a website, websites tend to be pretty stagnant. Information there is kind of buried under the website itself, and so it's hard to know how many people are responding to it. Now, you can do that. You can use Google Analytics or some other kind of tracking form to, to find that out. But in contrast to a blog, a blog is very Google-sensitive. If you write an article and you do some kind of a takeoff on a popular news theme, you know, you have Al Gore or oil spill in the title of your blog, it's going to get a lot of traffic just because of the tie-ins, and that's a way to expose yourself to a very large group of people very quickly. So experiment with it. It's not like you start something and you're committed to it can never change. If you do something for 60, 90 days and find that you're not getting any traction, then it probably merits taking a fresh look at it, maybe redirecting. But I think that you're really going to be able to find uh, an, a pretty receptive audience under your farming passion. And I would encourage you to stay there. Here we got another one that, that addresses uh, the anticipation that change is going to mean less. Now listen to this. Pete says, Dan, by some measures, my wife of 25 years and I have a dream life. We have two loving, bright, and successful daughters and a supportive family. We have our health, a lovely home, and a combined six-figure income. We also have too much debt and a large mortgage payment. Our current jobs, especially my wife's, are largely unrewarding other than the pay. Geez, I cringe when I read stuff like that. How could you possibly force yourself to work where the only reward is a paycheck? Anyway, back to Pete's comment. Selling our house would help reduce debt, but we would lose years of savings due to the reduced value in today's market. Neither of us has a college degree, and both are fearful of making a major career change. We both feel we're trapped and wearing golden handcuffs. I know there's a better way, a way that helps us have meaning as well as an income. My wife is not so sure. She's at her wit's end. I purchased the 48-day system but haven't even gotten her to look at it. She's in a total victim state. I'm not too far off of it myself, and I've been unsuccessful in helping her out. I believe in the approach, 48 days and want to make it work. Can you help us on a path to a new future? Well, from from a distance, I, I certainly hope that I can. And I hope that the principles laid out in 48 days would give you enough confidence to go ahead and explore the changes that are available to you. For one thing, you can explore changes. You can brainstorm any kind of scenario that you want without jeopardizing what you're currently doing. You'll never find me in 48 days or in any other kind of information to say, well, just quit your job. We'll figure something out. No, even though I believe that's very possible, but I encourage you, while you are working at jobs that are not fulfilling other than a paycheck, start brainstorming. What would be 20 possibilities of things that you could do? Can you make it come alive on paper? Can you map out a business plan to see what would actually happen? Whether that is just getting another job, which is certainly doable. Yes, there are companies hiring 
even in this economy, unemployment is not out of sight. Unemployment's coming back down. Companies are scrambling to find people who are clear on what value they bring to the table. So you can do that, or you can take an idea of yours and try to put legs on it. But to assume that any change is going to mean less is very, very narrow, small thinking. Expand your belief system so that you really do believe there are other options out there. Now, you're going to have to have your wife buy into that. I mean, it's one of these, we tend to get what we expect. If you feel trapped, guess what? You're trapped. If you believe that you have a lot of options, guess what shows up? A lot of options. So try to stretch your current belief system where you and your wife both believe there are other options and explore those things. Now, a lot of people have too much debt and a large mortgage payment. So what does that mean? I mean, if you got a $150,000 mortgage, just dream about what would it take to pay that off? Now, you could win the lottery, but there are certainly a lot of other things that are legitimate and reasonable that you could do to do the same thing. Don't think that it's unreasonable. One of the things that people experience when they break out of a traditional employee role is that it it kind of uh, breaks all the barriers. In an employee role, it may be reasonable to expect a 3 or 4% increase in your income every year. When people move out of that traditional work model, they find that they may be able to double or triple or quadruple their income in a very, very short period of time. You don't have to work on some just slow, linear progression if you change the models. So know that those possibilities are available to you and uh, just uh, be working toward the things that may fit you and your wife. Here we got some input from Jeff. This is one of those helpful listener comments that I want to just include here. He says, Dan, I thought this information would be of interest to you and your business. Yet another distribution channel for aspiring authors. And it talks about Apple's new support program for self-publishing in their iBookstore. Now, to get to this, let's see, I thought I put the link in here. I did not, but you can certainly find that. The iTunes iBookstore, where they're looking for authors who don't have a publishing deal. Now, you have to realize this is something that is changing dramatically. I mean, it used to be a pretty closed game where the publishers held all the cards in their hand and close to their chest. And if you didn't get a deal with Viking or Doubleday or Random House or Thomas Nelson or somebody like that, it was pretty hard to really get a book out there and get it exposed. Well, those walls have pretty much been knocked down. Now, you can do a lot of things to get a book moving, even if you never get a publishing deal. Now, certainly those deals are still there to be had. Publishers are looking for good content, authors who have a platform. So don't negate that, but know that you have a broad spectrum of opportunities. Amazon is one of the major players. They have a program called Create Space. You can go there. They're looking for people who are not connected with publishers, and they're saying, let's just cut out all the middlemen. Let's cut out literary agents and publishers. You can come directly here and have the biggest format for promoting your book in the entire world, which Amazon is. Now, the follow-up to that is, does being on Amazon guarantee that you're going to have a bestseller and sell 50,000 copies? No, not at all. All it means is that it's readily available then you as the author have to do things to generate interest in that book so people go there to buy it. 
I mean, people don't go to Amazon and just start wandering through millions of books and stumble on your book and buy it. They go to Amazon because they know about your book and they're simply going there to complete the purchase. So if you're able to do those things that attract an audience, you do have a platform, you are able to drive people to Amazon to purchase your book, then sure, you can do a lot, even if you don't have a publishing deal. And this is kind of a catch-22, because what do you think publishers look for? They look for authors that know how to do exactly what I just described. They look for authors who are blogging, who do have a podcast, who do have an electronic newsletter, who are using Facebook and Twitter, who have a connection with a broad audience. They're looking for people who are going to drive sales to their books. I mean, publishers don't have any magic pills that they pull out to make a book successful. Yeah, I mean, they can make some connections and they may be able to get you on the shelves at Barnes & Noble and Books a Million and Borders. But frankly, those are not real key components in having a bestseller. The real key is people know who the author is, want that person's material, and they're going to get it and tell their friends about it. Now, along that line, speaking of that, and Jeff, thanks for your note. Thanks for pointing out the new program that Apple has. I mean, everybody's trying to get into this game because uh, traditional publishing is changing dramatically. Along that line, great time to mention the next event we've got coming up here at the Sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. We just had an event here this last week, had a great time with people from as far away as Columbia, South America, who were here who want to be coaches. So we have a lot of fun when we have live events here. Joanne spoils people with her cooking. Uh, we um, hang around, have a lot of great fellowship together, as well as learning the principles for success in the businesses. The next one coming up is Right to the Bank. We're going to be telling you how to take your writing and turn it into income. And when I say write, it's W-R-I-T-E, Right to the Bank. I emphasize that part because most authors, in as much as I hope you do enjoy the process of writing, I hope you do have a message that is just exploding that you have to get out. I mean, those are components of having a great book or a great ebook or article or blog or whatever. But also, most people that I encounter in that sphere also want to make some money. And that's cool. I expect you to make money. I want to make money with the writing that I do. And it's a lot of fun for me to share with other people some of the things that I've used over the years and some things that I know you can do to create income for your writing. So we're going to have some great presenters here. I mean, I'm kind of greedy with the time to keep it to myself because I've got so much I want to share. But I am bringing in some people. I'm bringing in the senior editor from B&H Publishing here in Nashville, Gary Tereshita, who happened to be my editor on 48 Days to the Work You Love. So I've got a long history with him. Great guy. He's going to be here on that Thursday evening to share about what do you, they look for in good writing. And then we're going to have Matt Bauer, who's the publisher at Thomas Nelson, the largest publisher of Christian material in the world. He's going to be here to talk about what are they looking for in all these changing times? What are books that they are interested in that they would be willing to partner with you, an author, and take that to the market? Also going to have some, uh, well, I'm going to have um, the illustrator for Joanne's little children's book that she just did. That illustrator is going to be here. Some of you have asked questions about that. How do you find an illustrator? Well, we're going to let you talk to one. And then we're going to have several authors here, people who have done extremely well with their books themselves. Eric Weisner is going to be here. I interviewed him recently on one of our Tuesday night teleseminars. He wrote the book Success Made Simple. Looks at why the Amish businesses have such an incredibly high success rate. 
But not only did he write a really interesting book, he's done an amazing job of getting coverage. He's been on CNN, he's been on CNN Money, he's been an Inc. Fast Company entrepreneur, had a full-page article in Time Magazine, and I'm going to have him share some of the things that he has done as an author. Those things were not done by a publisher. Those were done by him as the author. So we're going to be sharing that. Again, a lot of information, but we'd love to talk to you. You can click on the green bar at 48days.net up in the corner there. That'll take you right to the information for upcoming events. But again, that's right to the bank. You know, it's, it's our lowest priced event of the year, and I think I'm more excited about it than anything we do. I love this process of helping people kind of have the lights come on when it relates to writing. Well, here we got a question from, um, or input from Jeff, who says, Dan, my wife is five months pregnant and has quit working due to some issues with back pain. She currently stays at home and is bored out of her mind. She wants to work, but thinks that no one will hire her because she's pregnant. Is this true? Her only work experience is in the fast food industry, and she feels this limits her opportunities. Are there any legitimate work-at-home opportunities here? I'm currently reading 48 Days to the Work You Love. I'm a member of 48days.net, and I listen to your weekly podcast. Well, thanks, Jeff. comes from Kennesaw, Georgia. There are a lot of things your wife can do while she's home, while she's pregnant, and wanting to create income. Now, frankly, I would question going out and getting a traditional job at five months pregnant. Yes, that is going to be a concern. I would be concerned about hiring somebody for a traditional eight-to-five job or any variation thereof when they're five months pregnant. I mean, there is likely to be an extra need for rest during that period of time, and then obviously there's going to be some time off when the baby comes. I'm not sure that's fair to anybody involved. Your wife to be committed to something where she has to be out every day right up until giving birth, or to an employer to have to make the adjustments knowing that a baby is coming quickly. But there are plenty of other things that can be done. Now, if you're a member of 48days.net, go to the yellow post-it note up on the left-hand corner where I have 48 low-cost business ideas. Now, I've gotten a lot of feedback about that, and I'm delighted to provide that. There's no cost to that. It's a free PDF download. Most of the things I've had personal experience with, and these are legitimate things that can be done, where it doesn't require a lot of money. There's nothing in there that requires more than $2,500, and most of the ideas don't require anything in terms of money. They just require having a clear idea and a plan of action. Now, here's what I also know will happen. I wish I could be, I wish I could somehow be secretly out there in cyberspace and look over people's shoulders as they read through those 48 low-cost ideas. I've got things in there like piano tuning and about recycling uh, wood chips and about building a safe playground equipment out of old discarded tires. I mean, a lot of things in there, that, again, that I've been involved in But I can also hear, coming through cyberspace, a whole lot of yes buts. Now, watch your mindset when you go through a list of ideas like that. Because a whole lot of people who do feel trapped, who feel like we're in an economic downturn, we're in a recession, there are no opportunities, nobody's hiring, now's a terrible time to start anything new. Guess what? Again, our expectations become our reality. And those people, in fact, are convinced there's no way to do that. And they will go through Dan's list of 48 low-cost ideas and with everyone say, yes, but I couldn't do that. Yes, but that wouldn't work for me. Yes, but that was just Dan. Watch yourself. Now, 
at the end of that list of 48 ideas, and I give a lot of pictures in there, things that you can actually do, other resources you can get to help you with those, and they are simple ideas. At the end of that list of 48, I link you to another source with uh, one of Seth Godin's program where they have 999 business ideas that you're welcome to take and make them your own. Then I have another list of 101 ideas for young entrepreneurs. So we've got a list of a lot of ideas there. If you find yourself going through an enormous list of ideas for things you could do to generate income on your own, and you get to the bottom and you say, well, there's nothing in there that'll fit me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay the book down, lay the resources down. I want you to go to and stand in front of a mirror. And I want you to ask that person looking back at you, what are the internal obstacles that are blocking my success? Because it's not a matter of having exposure to ideas. There are plenty of ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. And you can steal mine or take them off of another list. That's why I give away ideas so freely. Because having ideas doesn't make anybody successful. It's taking action on those ideas. But really, having success, starting something, is not as complex as what people often make it out to be. It really isn't. Just act on something. Well, here's, here's a good one to follow that up with. This comes from Don in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Dan, I love your show. A recurring theme are Christians who seem paralyzed and unable to take action as they wait for God's will or some kind of sign from God. I think I've been in this situation as well. I'm going to read that again. That, that is, I mean, this is so common. It's just mind-boggling. A recurring theme are Christians who seem paralyzed and unable to take action as they wait for God's will or some kind of sign from God. And he says, I think I've been in this situation as well. I found this Frederick Douglass quotation very helpful. He, of course, was enslaved at the time. Here's the quotation from Frederick Douglass, a black slave in prison. I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Is that cool or what? I prayed with my legs. Now, there's, some, there's a good piece of advice for today. If you find that you haven't um, been given opportunities, God hasn't given you the road to Damascus kind of experience, he hasn't given you a direct sign as to what you're supposed to do, try praying with your legs. Man, I love that thought. Don, thanks for passing that along. Love that piece. Well, here, here's a little piece I want you to hear. This is just a kind of a little testimonial from Ron in Houston. Let me bring Ron up here. Hey, Dan, this is Rob from Houston, Texas, the counselor that called you in last week. And uh, I'm just calling to say thank you for answering my question. I just heard the podcast, and uh, it was kind of exciting to hear you answer it. So that's all I wanted to say, buddy. Uh, you've given me a lot of really good direction with my career now. And I just need to say thank you because I appreciate what you do. Your work is awesome. And I try to spread the word, buddy. So uh, thanks again, and uh, I guess I'll uh, keep listening to you. Take care. Good work. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Rod, for your little testimonial there. You know, uh, people leave a lot of messages. Frankly, with the messages that people leave on our Google voicemail, most of them are way too long to integrate into the show. They have to be pretty short and succinct. And a lot of times what you'll hear me read are my own brief condensations of those messages that are left. So either way, that's fine. You can call the Google Voice number and leave a message or just shoot a message to dan at 
48days.com. Well, while we're playing with technology here, let me bring in my buddy John Tesh for a quick testimony, and we'll go back to the questions. Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Well, Chris says, Dan, I'm looking for a new career. I have an idea of what various things I could do, but the trouble is my spark for doing these things comes and goes. I cannot seem to find the fire for something in a consistent way. Am I expecting too much, or do I need to still keep looking for that thing that I will have more passion about? Well, that's a great question. You know, and this is not a black and white kind of issue. This is not an all or nothing kind of thing. Yes, I talk a lot about passion in your work and engaging that passion. And I cringe when people say, I don't have any passion. There's nothing that I really care about that much. I'm thinking, how could you live life and not have things that you care about deeply, things that touch you deeply? I just, I'm not sure how that can happen. But I encourage you, if that is true, you know, change your schedule, do something different. Go for a walk. I mean, sit in a bathtub for 30 minutes with candles. Uh, take one of your grandchildren on a walk through the woods. I mean, that'll wake you up to things that you've been missing all along. And, and I think that if, I think that really is part of the issue here. I think you're missing things that are all around you if you can't identify things that you're passionate about. I, I might recommend another book, and it's Ken Geyer's book, Windows of the Soul. Ken does an amazing job of, of helping us see You know, God in nature and in movies and in music and in art and drama and all these different things we have exposure to, those things ought to wake up something in us, even if you're not an emotional, artistic, creative kind of person. There's still things that ought to touch us. And it's identifying those things that we get little clues about our passion. That passion is a a key ingredient in identifying what our calling is and living that out in meaningful work. Yes, I believe in all of that. Now, do I think you need to go sit on a rock somewhere and wait until you discover that before you engage and do something? Not a chance. If you aren't feeling passionate about something, you still need to be a provider. Go out here and do something. You need to be engaged in something. And I don't care if you're a greeter at Walmart or you're in the aisles wearing a yellow apron at a Home Depot. Do something. Get engaged. We learn as we live life. It's not something to be learned in isolation or while we're just sitting in a classroom or reading a book even. Those are all things that may help us, but stay engaged. So I never encourage somebody to unplug from life while they're trying to figure out what their passion or their calling or their mission or their destiny, whatever you want to frame it as is. No, stay engaged. Life helps us get more clues as we go along. That's why I don't like to work with people in life coaching when they're 25 or when they're 30 or 35. Now, again, I know you've got listeners and God, I love having you as listeners and love having you involved in seminars and all that. But to do the in-depth life coaching, I like to work with people who have had enough life experience to reflect back on it, see clear patterns emerge, and from that create a clear focus knowing that then we can move forward with clarity about what things are meaningful, what things engage your passion, what things embrace your strongest talents and gifts. So enjoy the journey. And maybe you are expecting too much, Chris. If the spark comes and goes, now another thing is don't expect to find one spark and then it carries you for 30 years. That's not necessarily true. I mean, Joanne, my wife, calls me a three-year man. 
even after all these years of being married, and I'm way down the, the path of life from some of you listeners, a three-year man, I love change. I found that even if something is working very well, is very successful, if it becomes predictable, I lose my interest, and I'm likely to sabotage that. I know that about myself, so I build in change as one of the requirements. So I'm not looking for the one thing that is the only thing that I do, even at this season of my life. I like the variety and change and new opportunities that are coming down the pike every day. So I'm the kind of guy, you know, I walk down the lane to get the mail and I have six ideas before I come back in because of things that I've seen, thought about, heard, imagined, dreamed. So keep your mind open. Keep feeding your mind. I mean, don't live in a vacuum. Keep feeding your mind. Go to workshops, seminars, listen to podcasts read blogs, get great magazines, get great books, go to my reading list, get the books that I recommend. I mean, do things that are constantly feeding your mind and that will help your true passion, true calling kind of come to life. It'll help you see it more clearly. Well, Carissa says, Dan, I recently finished reading your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I thought I had everything on track until Sunday. I worked full-time. Now, this has got a lot of details in it, and I'm going to take a minute to just read through this because there's a pattern that I think is worth identifying. Dan, I finished reading your books, 48 Days to the Work You Love. thought I had everything on track until Sunday. I worked full-time as a bartender at Opryland Hotel and will be out of work until possibly December while they repair flood damage. I decided to use this time as an opportunity to explore other options. I've always wanted to live in New York, and took a friend's suggestion to find work at a bar in the Hamptons. I rented a car and drove up there last week with several resumes and lots of determination. I've had quite a few job offers and found a place to stay, but I had to return the rental car, pack up my stuff, pick up my car in Nashville. On the drive back to Nashville, I got a reckless driving ticket for speeding in Virginia. I got home to find that my car was not yet repaired and was delayed a few days. Finally, late Saturday night, I loaded up my car and headed north. Around 5.30 a.m. Sunday morning, I wrecked my car on the interstate in Virginia. I was trying to set my cruise control so that I wouldn't get another speeding ticket. Next thing I know, my car is going in a ditch. So I went to correct it, and my car spun out of control. I did two full circles in the middle of the interstate on a bridge. My back end hit the cement barrier. Then my front end came around and hit the guardrail. I was the only vehicle involved. Thank God. I'm lucky to be alive. My only injury is a sore neck. My car's damage is mostly cosmetic. After talking with police and getting my car towed, I was going to try to catch a flight to New York because I was supposed to work at one of the bars by 8 p.m. Sunday night. The plane ticket was going to cost me $1,000 one way. I looked into other options like renting a car, $600 to $700. I was tired, not thinking clearly, and frustrated. Hours passed by while I sat in the airport trying to make a decision. I got a room at a hotel across the street. I've been at this hotel thinking, waiting, reading, planning, and looking for guidance. I'm not sure if this was God's way of telling me to slow down, change direction, stay in Nashville, go to New York, pursue a different path. I just don't know anymore. I thought I was so sure of myself, my plans to work in the Hamptons this summer, then possibly move to Manhattan or return to Nashville, depending on opportunities. Please help me decipher the meaning behind these circumstances. Now, her subject line was, is this a sign? Now, how do we evaluate those kind of things when we have a whole bunch of things happen that are unexpected, 
or unwelcome. Do we allow circumstances to redirect us? Do we take circumstances as a sign, maybe that God is directing us in a different direction? Now, this is, this is a big, big issue, and we certainly can't give in-depth coverage of all the issues that are involved here. A couple principles, though, to pull from. One is, and this comes from Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you need to establish clear priorities. If you don't have a clear sense of where you're going, now the, the way I do this in working with people is I want you to identify what does success look like five years down the road? What does that mean for you physically, personal development, socially, financially, in your career, spiritually? What does success look like? The clearer you can be about what that looks like, then the easier it is to make immediate decisions because you know that you're making deposits of success in those areas as you have defined success. If you don't have a clear sense of where you're going, then any obstacle will send you in a different direction. Circumstances then become the determinants of what your life is going to be. Now, nobody wants to live their life like that. You don't want to be just a victim of circumstances, but without having a clear sense of where you're going, without having a clear sense of goals and priorities, then that, in fact, does become your life script circumstances determine the direction of your life. Certainly, I don't want that to be the case. Now, in Carissa's question here, she knew where she was going. She was going to move to the Hamptons. She already went up there, had a job. However, I'd say there are some red flags. There are enough. There's a chain of events here in circumstances where something needs to be addressed. Something is trying to create a red flag here. Now, I don't think you could attribute all these things to just being reckless or absent-minded. I, th- there's enough circumstantial events that have packed together in a very short period of time here. Yeah, I'd be looking at those and saying, wait a minute, did I really read this right? Is there perhaps something here that I need to pay attention to? Now, this is how, how I use this kind of a process. I mean, if somebody comes to me today and says, boy, God had a word for me, for, for, to me, for you, I, I think you need to just liquidate everything you've got. You and Joy need to get off the farm out there in Franklin, Tennessee, and you need to go to Afghanistan to help some of the humanitarian work there. Well, I'd tell that people, geez, what'd you have for dinner last night? You know, where in the world that come from? However, if every newspaper I picked up in the last two weeks, I saw something about Afghanistan that really tugged at my heart. I pick up Newsweek and Time, and boom, there's something. I flip on the news, and there's a piece about that. And I had two other people this week that said, man, have you ever thought about doing this? All of a sudden, I have a pattern of affirmation in a particular direction where then your particular comment may fit in line with that. And I say, you know what? I think God is trying to tell me something here that I need to pay attention to. But I look for a series of things that line up to give me affirmation. You know, it may have been in my morning reading in Proverbs that I had something that tied in with that. And all of a sudden I have a pattern that says, yeah, I need to pay attention. I would encourage you to look at this in the same way. If there is a pattern of things here that are all saying, you're making a bad decision, then rest in the comfort of knowing you can still change. You can still change that decision. 
I, I don't see anything right on the surface. You know, if you want to go to New York, that's that's fine. Personally, I wouldn't want to go there. But if you want to go there, that's fine. I mean, we all make individual decisions that can still be well within the sphere of living out our calling and God's will. And we got a lot of latitude there. But in this, yeah, I think there are enough things that you need to pay attention. You need to take a fresh look at this and say, is this really what I want to do in this next season of my life. Well, I hope you heal up well that you get your cars fixed and get your life back on track. Obviously, my answer here coming a couple days after you wrote this probably wasn't enough to make the decision about getting out of the hotel, but I hope at this point you're moving on with your life and enjoying the future that you see, the future that you're creating. I mean, that's one of my old adages. The the best way to uh, to, to predict your future is to create it. I mean, we all have a lot of ability to decide what it is that we want to do in our future, and I encourage you on that path. Well, you can tell by the uh, music coming up here that we are out of time for this particular podcast. Thanks for being part of our 48 Days family. We've had some really great content on the Tuesday night teleseminars. Those are all archived under teleseminars. You can go back and hear some of the guests that I've interviewed there, people who are smarter and brighter than I, and I love bringing them into our into our little family here, having them share their wisdom. But whatever you're doing, I trust that you are enjoying the process, not only of finding meaningful work, but finding and creating a meaningful life. Have a great week.